0: When Matthew Levison went missing, his family and friends searched everywhere they could think of. Matt's partner, Michael Atkins, was no help. His stories of the day Matt disappeared seemed to change with every telling, and he paced nervously at the police station when he and the Levesons reported Matt missing. When police found Matt's car abandoned at Waratah Oval, a Bunnings receipt for duct tape and a digging implement purchased on the day Matt went missing meant the case was passed on to the homicide squad. On the afternoon of Thursday the 27th of September, the day Matt's car was found, strike force was established by police to investigate Matt's disappearance. The detective in charge phoned Atkins to arrange for him to be interviewed at the Miranda police station on that Thursday. Atkins agreed to go straight to the police station as soon as he finished work. A police unit was dispatched to the work site where Atkins was working. They kept a watch on his car too. To cover all bases, another police unit was dispatched to wait outside his apartment. While Atkins had told police he would go straight to the police station after he finished work that day, he first drove home. The police unit was waiting for him at his apartment and intercepted him before he could go inside. As soon as the police saw Atkins, they noticed his nervousness. His eyes glazed over and he started sweating. Before they knew what was happening, Atkins swooned into a faint. The cops grabbed him and sat him down in the driveway. The officer in charge of the investigation drove straight to the Cronulla apartment. Before she presented Atkins with the search warrant, she wanted to get his version of Matt's disappearance down on paper. Even though Mark and Faye Leveson had never warmed to their son's boyfriend, they wanted to believe him at first. Because believing was easier to cope with than not. But right from the start, he didn't behave like someone who'd just lost his partner.
1: In the very first instance, I believed Dicken's on face value because I knew nothing more at that stage and thought uh, it's his partner, he's looking after him, and we uh, believed the lies at first.
2: I didn't because he was cold. He's just. And he just—he was just unfeeling. If if you'd lost your partner, you'd be beside yourself. Oh, yeah. And that he, was the
1: key. His, his actions were never the actions of a grieving
2: partner. He never once rang us up to ask us how we were coping. I'd ring him, say, oh, how are you going, and pretend,
1: See, which killed me. What we didn't know, I, I said that, you know, Faye spoke to the police on the Thursday afternoon, early evening, was that the police also interviewed Atkins at a similar time. They said to him he want you in the station to help us out with Matt's disappearance. And he was going in to assist with their inquiries. He said, look, I'm, I'm currently in Glendinning. Yeah. yeah. Glendening, which is about two hours away from Miranda Police Station. So I'll, I'll come there after work, but it's going to take me a couple of hours. What he didn't know was that the police knew he was already lying. He was in Northmead, a new plant going in, which is much closer than that. They were out in the car park in a surveillance van and uh, they tailed him, or a car, they tailed him from there. He went straight, he was told to go straight to the police station, he went straight from Northmead to the unit at Cronulla. And when he saw police at the unit, and realised there was police going to have a car behind him, he collapsed that to be helped to the ground. Now, he got out of the car in his work clothes, this is unexplained, with one jogger on and one work boot on. No one knows why.
0: Meanwhile, police continued their investigation. And from the triangulation data of Matt's mobile phone, they discovered that it last pinged at 5.48pm on Wednesday, September 26, from a phone tower located on King George's Road in Beverly Hills. This was about the midway point between Atkins and Matt's Cronulla apartment and worksite in Northmead that Atkins had been assigned to for work that week. By the time Atkins was brought into the Miranda police station, the police had examined the CCTV footage of Matt and Atkins leaving the ARC nightclub on Sunday the 23rd of September at 2.11am. They had the Bunnings receipt and CCTV footage of Atkins buying duct tape and a Matic. While Atkins wasn't considered a formal suspect at that stage, the custody manager read him his rights as a voluntary interviewee. He was not under arrest. He could leave at any time. He could obtain legal advice. He didn't have to say anything, but if he did, it could be used in evidence. Atkins was interviewed by the lead detective from Miranda Police and an experienced detective from the Homicide Squad. They told him that Matt's car had been found. Remember what we said earlier in the series about Waratah Oval? Well, despite having installed two basketball gaming machines at the stadium next to Waratah Oval, Atkins denied knowing where the Oval was. Is there anything that comes to mind when we tell you we've located his car at Waratah Oval? They asked him. Atkins said, not really.
2: He always said he didn't know where Waratah Oval was and that he had two arcade machines in the basketball stadium, which is behind Waratah Oval.
1: And that was his job?
2: That yeah, it was I guess a side, side job. Side These job. machines,
1: you buy an arcade machine and you leave it in a centre, you may pay rent there and you, you clear it periodically. And you could see Matt's car from this parking lot where he would clear his machines. And he denied knowing where that place was, of course, so that's another lie. He just had to disprove that one.
0: In the police interview, the homicide detective cut to the chase and asked Atkins if he was in any way connected to Matt's disappearance. Atkins was sitting with his right leg bent up, right hand holding his right ankle, left arm folded onto the table. He looked directly at the detective and said no. His body language becomes more closed when the Miranda detective asked if he knew where Matt was now. Again, he said, no. The police knew that determining what happened on Sunday, September 23rd, the day after the night out at ARC nightclub, was crucial in determining what had happened to Matt. In describing Sunday... Atkins told police that he had only left his Cronulla apartment to take a 10-minute walk to the mall around 5pm. He said he hadn't woken up until 2 or 3 in the afternoon. Of course, the detectives knew very well that the statement was a lie. They had seen the CCTV footage of Atkins at the Tarrant Point Bunnings at 12.30pm. It was also a different story to what he first said, that he woke up on Sunday morning and Matt was gone and was not seen or heard from since and then the other version, that they were together on Sunday morning and Matt went out with friends on Sunday night. In the catching of these first lies, Atkins effectively became a suspect in Matt's disappearance. This would become a key point later on when it was argued that at this stage, Atkins should have been taken back to the custody manager to be reread his rights, this time as a suspect, not as a voluntary interviewee. But that didn't happen. Continuing the interview, the police informed Atkins that they had found the Bunnings receipt in Matt's car and that they had already viewed the CCTV footage showing Atkins making a purchase that corresponded to the receipt. Despite being told this, Atkins denied going to Bunnings. He denied buying the mattock and the duct tape and he denied being in possession of any mattock at his apartment. Atkins was offered the chance to view the Bunnings CCTV footage. At first, he agreed but when the detectives told him that anything he did or said while watching the video could be used in evidence, he changed his mind. Homicide detective. Is there anything you wish to say about that? Atkins. Ah, don't think it was me. Homicide detective. Who do you think it could be? Atkins. I don't know. Homicide detective. How do you feel about our belief that it's you that made the purchase? Atkins. Surprised. Homicide detective. Do you wish to say anything further about that? Atkins. Nah.
1: And uh, so they went to, to, even before Atkins came to the interview, they rushed down to Bunnings and uh, got very good quality CCTV footage of Atkins leaving the dramatic and cloth tape. And uh, in the interview, in the Erisp, he was asked, we have footage view. It looks like you at Bunnings buying a cloth tape matic, wasn't me. It wasn't me. You refused
2: to look at it. Do you want to, to you want
1: it. see it? No, I don't want to see it. it. was you, wasn't me. And that went on for a while, but it was, he denied it. it. was him and refused to even view the footage. That was when the police first had their suspicions, which, which we weren't aware of. We didn't know about this footage until
0: much, much later. The interview finished at 9.20 p.m., after that, the police told Atkins they intended to execute a search warrant on the apartment and garage he shared with Matt.
1: did what's called the ERISP, which is the electronic recording interview of a suspect person. They took him down to the unit and did a walk-through the unit on video of the unit of the garage area and missed some vital things, uh, which didn't come up until much, much later. Then he was um, let go home after that.
0: The police interview was formally over, but prior to leaving the interview room, the Miranda detective told Atkins that she believed he knew exactly what had happened to Matt. She then implored Atkins to tell her the truth. Atkins replied, I want to tell you, but I'm scared about what will happen to me. But the moment was fleeting and then it passed. Nothing further came of that conversation, and so police drove Atkins to Waratah Oval where Matt's car had been found. Again, the police asked him to tell them what had happened to Matt, but Atkins remained silent, or at least stuck to his story. After being driven to Waratah Oval, Atkins was then taken by police back to his apartment so he was present when they executed the search warrant. During the search of the house, police found drugs, GHB, and an amount of cash in the kitchen. When police asked Atkins about them, he lied about his involvement with drugs. He told them the drugs all belonged to Matt and that he did not want Matt to sell them. He said, That's why he wanted to go clubbing on Sunday night, to sell more, and I didn't want him to. Atkins told police that Matt's dealer was a guy from Ark Nightclub and provided a first name for a man that was never identified. Looking back, it seemed to the Levisons that really obvious clues that raised questions about Atkins' story were ignored. It was the beginning of a battle that no family should have to wage, for the main suspect in their son's disappearance to be investigated thoroughly. Drugs were found in the initial search of Atkins' apartment, but for a long time there didn't seem to be any consequences, not even six weeks later when drugs were found there again.
1: See, Atkins was initially trying to blame Matt for everything and uh, poor Matt couldn't answer to defend himself and uh, in the very, very first search warrant of the unit, they found a quantity of, of GHP and cash in the kitchen. It was confiscated, of course, and then when they did the search at about the six-week mark, I think, of the unit as well, they found the same thing again. Atkins said they're Matt's. So has Matt been back to put this stuff in the unit? Hello? It wasn't Matt.
0: And in that instance, is he caught out by it? Like, what was the response when that happens? Was then he was charged shortly after that for that
1: or? No, that's, that's week six. No, it took a while.
0: It wasn't until other detectives took over the following year that Atkins was charged in relation to the drugs.
2: To say that they were Matt six weeks after Matt had gone, you know, what, did Matt come back? Come back from the dead and plant the drugs there for him?
0: And he was able to just get away with that for yeah, another I, I don't,
2: year. I don't think he was challenged with it, actually. No, I think
1: the police just, just took it on board. When a person's being interviewed or, or talking to police, the police tend not correct them. They let them speak, let them hang themselves, say as much as you want, sunshine, and we'll, we'll challenge you later.
2: It's funny But they too, didn't challenge him later. But it's funny when they did the second, because I said there was a spare key because they needed, uh, there was no key for Matt's car, and I said there's a spare key at Atkins' place, because Matt took because he'd locked himself out because he used to keep spare key here. And they said, no, we didn't find it. And further on down, down track, guess what was found? The spare key at his place. So there was a bunch of keys, which was Maddie's keys, that they found in the initial search and they hold them up and you can see the look on his face about them. And nothing was done about that either.
0: It's only fair to point out here that with the wisdom of hindsight, everything is obvious. But this is not the case during an investigation. Indeed, referring to this case, a magistrate would later comment that hindsight often shows deficiencies in any investigation, but such deficiencies cannot always be known or realised until after the event. At this stage of the investigation, no one knew for certain what had happened to Matt and all eyes turned to Atkins for answers. Police asked Atkins about various items of clothing, shoes, and other items found in the lounge room. Some of these other items included a white iPod and Dior sunglasses, two things that Matt would never be without. But the police did not know this at the time. The police found an empty shoe box in the garbage bin with a receipt of purchase for the shoes Atkins bought after work on Monday the 24th of September. These turned out to be the shoes that Atkins was currently wearing. Police asked him where his old shoes were, and Atkins replied that he believed they were in the bathroom. The police searched the bathroom and the rest of the apartment, but could not find his other shoes. Atkins then told the police that he didn't know where they might be, Police also found a white blanket stuffed into a backpack in the lounge room, either beside or behind the lounge. Atkins claimed Matt took the blanket to work and was the last person to use it, but that it was something that Atkins himself took to work sometimes as he often got cold on the job. Inside the backpack was a black plastic garbage bag and a necktie, which belonged to Matt. The police seized Atkins' car and mobile phone However, other items that were found during the search were not seized by police until a later date, including laptops. Inside Atkins' car was the light purple, or lilac, shirt that Atkins was seen wearing in the Bunnings CCTV footage and that Pete had seen him wearing at Woolworths on the Monday. During their search of the garage, Atkins was asked whether anything belonged to Matt. Atkins said no. Police also searched the bins, but they'd been emptied two days earlier, so there was nothing of note in them. The searches of both the apartment and the garage were video-recorded for evidence. After the search of the apartment and garage, Atkins decided that he no longer wished to answer any more questions and stopped talking to the police. After receiving legal advice from his newly instructed lawyer the following day, Friday the 28th of September, Atkins exercised his right to silence from that point onwards. But whether Atkins spoke to them or not, the investigation continued. Police reviewed the contents of his mobile phone and found multiple text messages to Matt. They were the messages of concern, urging Matt to call him or his mother. Interestingly, Atkins had not made any attempts to actually ring Matt's mobile phone from his own until the morning of Thursday the 27th of September, four days after he last saw him. After searching through Atkins' seized vehicle, the police located Matt's phone, a pinkish red Samsung, hidden under the passenger side floor mat. His phone was on. On Saturday, the 29th of September, the police informed Mark and Fay Levison that they no longer considered Matt a missing person. They were now investigating Matt's disappearance as a homicide.
1: I told. They and I that the case had been transferred to homicide. We said, what? And they said, no, look, it's it, they've got far more resources than we've got. So it's just going to give some more investigation tools that we can we can use. And I was like, OK, that's what you need to do. When, when you hear homicide, you think, Jesus. And then on a the Saturday morning, on our front door, we had that night nice detective lady from the station plus a detective from homicide tell us that, we've got to tell you now that we can eventually looking for Matt Remains. Uh, we fear admit met with foul play. I had to hold the fire up. She collapsed and uh, uh, that's when we first heard how serious they thought it was.
0: So that's all within the space of a week. Yeah. yeah. And so when, when it first happened, when you first realised that no-one knew where Matt was, what were the scenarios that were going through your head? What were the possible reasonings for his disappearance?
2: I just thought he was dead. Somebody bashed him somewhere. Uh, I just didn't know what had happened. And then, as yeah, I just thought he's... Somebody's just targeted him and drugs never came into our mind. I just thought, yeah, he's been targeted.
0: The hate Uh, crime fear that you'd had from years before. And, yeah, so it was just a horrible time. In the following days and after listening to the questions the police had asked her, Faye started to suspect that Atkins was involved in her son's disappearance. Over the passing weeks and months, police spoke with friends and family and anyone who may have been a witness. However, it seemed like the police didn't want to hear from everyone.
2: We didn't know who they were interviewing. I was get, we were getting calls and I was getting calls from some of the Matt's friends saying we've rung the police, we want to tell them this but they won't listen to us. And I ring them, they oh, yeah, yeah, and they'd fob me off.
0: What types of things were they wanting to tell the police?
2: Uh, one of them had been to the unit when Atkins was there and they'd seen Matty's cards and that on the table. He had Matt's bank statements that he'd been going through and they were lying around and... Um,
1: they wouldn't talk to Jason
2: early on? They wouldn't talk to Jason, they refused he to He saw take... this
1: scuffle at the 21st party before the last time he saw Matt alive and uh, they didn't want to know Jason, so... He didn't speak to them about that?
0: That just, that's bizarre. That doesn't make any sense. Are you trying to
2: create a profile? Yeah. And what what made it worse is when they brought in the new detective that took it to trial, I said to her they didn't take Mark's statement and they didn't take Jason's statement. And I told her what Jason had seen. And
0: she was mortified. Mortified. One of Matt and Atkins' friends, later given the pseudonym Jack Smith, provided a statement to the police on the 7th of October 2007, about two weeks after Matt was last seen at the Ark nightclub. Jack later gave a second statement the following June. It was Jack's unit that Matt, Atkins and Matt's brother Pete went to before they went to Ark on the night Matt was last seen. In his statements, Jack said that Atkins had taken Matt home in the early hours of Sunday because Matt had taken too many drugs. While corroborating Atkins' version of events, Jack also said that he thought Matt had taken less drugs that night than usual. The Levisons felt the police should have put more pressure on Jack. As a friend of Atkins, they suspected he knew more than he was letting on. But the police told them there was no point pressuring him because his memory of events was so affected by drugs. We can only imagine how the Levisons felt at this stage. Their son was missing. His boyfriend was looking and acting really suspiciously. And they wondered whether Atkins' close friend might have known more about what happened to Matt. It seemed to them like nothing could be done. When someone goes missing, it is left to the police and often the family to try and piece together the final moments. Matt's brother Pete was with him on that final night, which turned into the early hours of Sunday morning, the 23rd of September. Peter Levison told the police in his statement that around 1.30 a.m. he was on the balcony with Atkins at Ark nightclub when he saw Matt bouncing up the stairs. Other than saying hello, Matt did not stop and talk to him. Peter said that Atkins looked upset and worried, and when Peter asked Atkins how it was going, he replied, not good. Atkins told Pete that Matt was in one of his moods. Pete said Matt was drug-affected, but not incoherent. He said Atkins followed Matt down the stairs. Shortly after this, Peter Levison left the club and went home. Just as the investigation into Matt's disappearance gained momentum, the detective in charge from Miranda Police was transferred to another station only weeks after taking it on. The Levisons were disappointed. From the moment they met her, they liked this detective, and over the two weeks, they had developed a good relationship with her. This wouldn't be the case with the new detective put in charge. He didn't make a good impression on the Levisons at all. It's worth pausing here to acknowledge that the police have a job to do, but families and friends of missing persons are traumatised, often not eating or sleeping, and in agony, It doesn't take much on the part of police to acknowledge that and incorporate it into their investigation. Being kept in the loop, regular communication, makes such a difference to the extent of trauma experienced by families. Some police take professional pride in the way they look after families. Some don't. In the early stages of Matt's disappearance, the police, it's sort of been handballed from one station to another to another, and the relationship that you feel you had with the police early on was not as supportive or informative as you would have expected. Yeah. yeah the, we've made the, the point
1: f- over time that if you hear nothing, you perceive nothing's been done. Of course. And we've often said, and I've advocated to groups I've spoken to, that uh, all you need is a phone call. Once a week, thirty seconds. Good day, it's Billy Voggs here from the police station. You're not forgotten. We work on the case, with a few leads, whatever. Well, it's been a quiet week. We'll call you next week, just so you know that things are happening. Otherwise, if you say if you hear nothing,
2: you think nothing's happening. The good detective that was on it, she was only there for two weeks, and she was being transferred out of Miranda because she wanted to stay. And we said, can we? a character reference for you? now. no. Well, all no, we can
1: for you. It doesn't no, work that way, doesn't work that
2: way. So she got transferred out.
1: And they brought in a new person in charge of the case and that, for the very first time, made us feel like the police and us were no longer on the same side.
0: From then on, it seemed to the Levisons that the police kept them in the dark. It made no sense to them. They weren't suspects. Why wouldn't this new detective keep them up to date? Faye believes the new detective told his team not to talk to or update the Levisons on the progress of the case. How did it get that bad?
2: When Maddie first went missing, we were told not to go to the the media and Mad had a friend who had contacts with our local paper and she said they could get a story in. We said, oh, great, so we thought, do the right thing, we'd run by the police. They said no. Six weeks went by before we did a media release. Six weeks.
0: Did they explain why no. you weren't to do media? Did you have any understanding as to why that None, might be? But no, we, we,
1: again, thought we trusted the police. With the look, you guys know what you're doing. So if you say don't talk to the press, obviously you've got something in mind, so we'll say nothing. And we didn't. We had a few, a few approaches as well, but we thought no, we keep quiet and uh, you know, we're not meant to be speaking to you just yet. And I must say, even early on, when media would ask us, for comment, or, we did this the whole way through, we were never impolite to them. We just say, look, the police said we we can't speak at the moment. So, and they I, they took that, they
0: understood that. Do you think that it would have been any different had you been able to go straight to the media? Yes, yes. my word. Yes. How? Yeah.
2: Why? Publicity. People would have been aware that he was missing. They would have said, "Oh, we saw him walking to the car. He was by himself," or "We saw him." Who knows, they could have seen him in San Susie in the car driving. There could have been a struggle in the car. We'll never know really what happened. But somebody might have seen him after leaving Art. Somebody in the unit or around Cronulla might have seen them park the car.
1: Or heard something.
2: Or heard something. Uh, so for six weeks, nobody really knew that Maddie was missing. So that was a real lost opportunity for the public to well, engage. Yeah, it was. It was. You know,
1: they made comments in, the, in this press conference that uh, if if anybody can recall this happening six weeks ago... Hello, I've, last weekend I'm OK, but six weeks back, who'd have a clue? It's such a joke, just a joke.
0: The police never told Mark and Faye why they shouldn't use the media in the search for their son. It looked like a sensible tool to the Levisons, but they resisted because they believed in the system and the ways it operated. It's worth noting here that at a later court proceeding, the magistrate observed that in hindsight it had to be understood that at the time the Levison family wanted to go to the media to circulate information about Matt as a missing person, they were not aware that the police case had actually shifted to a murder investigation. It's also worth noting that at the same court proceeding, evidence was given by a police officer that there are operational reasons to withhold information from family members. The green light to talk to the media came six weeks after Matt went missing. But even then, it was a double-edged sword. When the Levisons did as they were told, the wrath of the new detective rained down on them.
1: I don't know. I'm just guessing those more seen than that team. I said, why aren't you guys talking to the press? And and I'm guessing it was forced on them, but I, I don't know. And in fact, during that media conference, one of the journalists gave the lead detective his card. And still, so did you get Mark Faye to give me a call? He wanted to run some more detail. So that detective passed that card on to us. And we made contact with this person in the media. And, and uh, we did ask the, uh, the detective, you know, what things can we say and not say? And we're told precisely what to say and not say to him. And uh, later on, with this new person in charge of our investigation, he grilled me, grilled Faye for going to the media. We said, hang on, your colleague gave us that person's card and, and said we could talk to them. We didn't get the media. They came to us with your consent.
2: He, well, your colleague's consent? He treated me like I had done something wrong, that I was going to be charged. He grilled me and said, you did say this. Oh, you, you. I said, no, I said what I could say to the media, no more, no less. And
0: he wouldn't have it. As their woes with police continued, Matt's 21st birthday approached. It was supposed to have been a big, beautiful celebration. Instead, on Matt's birthday, the 12th of December, the Levisons paid tribute to him on his MySpace page. Faye left a message that included a pointed comment on how they had heard nothing from Michael Atkins. We miss you so much. We can only wonder how much Mike is hurting, as I have not heard from him. I hope and pray he is coping better than we are. She also left flowers on the telegraph pole outside Atkins' unit to mark the occasion, but he never acknowledged the gesture. In her next meeting with police, Faye felt that rather than being sensitive about Matt's birthday, the new detective simply used the occasion of his birthday to make more upsetting comments.
2: When Maddie first was missing, the police, they did a, they did a beautiful thing. They took around the hat and on Matt's birthday, they left at the front doorstep white flowers and a cart. Isn't
1: that wonderful? That's yeah, just wonderful of them.
2: The, the human side of policing. And when he came on the scene, he told me that they shouldn't have done that. It was unethical. And that now that anybody else, murder victim that walked through that door, they would have to do the same thing. And it was unethical of them to use the police money. They didn't, as well. they didn't use police money. They,
1: out of
2: their own pocket. Uh, out of their own pocket. And then he sat there and said to me it was Matt's lifestyle that had him murdered. Oh my gosh. He said that to your face? He said that to my face just before Christmas and I looked at him and I said to him, have you got any children? And he said yes to, and I forget the ages, he said, I think it was 10 and 12, I'm not sure, I can't remember. And I just looked at him and I said, well, I hope you have a lovely Christmas with your family because we won't be.
0: The negative interactions with this new detective in charge of Matt's case continued and ultimately, the relationship became untenable. The Levisons demanded a new detective be brought in to investigate their son's disappearance. They also became more proactive. The more their trust in the police waned, the more they began to trust themselves to keep things moving. The Levisons set up a Facebook page called Justice for Matthew Levison and made missing person posters in the hope that someone would come forward with information. Meanwhile, the police continued to investigate Atkins and found increasing evidence that he was in fact a drug dealer, both before and after Matt had disappeared. The police charged Atkins with four counts of possession and supply of a prohibited drug in relation to the drugs found in his apartment during one of the searches. Atkins appeared in court on December 18. The Levisons were there to watch this man, who they were sure knew where Matt was. The court appearances also gave Faye the chance to be in his face. She would do anything to find her son.
2: We went to the court case for Atkins for the drug trial. We went to all his hearings. The police, as a methodology,
1: didn't want to give, give his defence counsel the chance to say, that, oh, my client's a good boy, he's not the any criminal record. Well, he had, he had drugs charged, so that, that was one avenue they closed for the defence.
2: So we would used used to go and we'd sit near him, look at him and in one, i have a bag with Matt's pictures and his pictures as well with Matt and I'd make sure he saw me with that bag and one particular day I thought I'd be a smart so-and-so and I had a picture of him and Matt together and I laminated it and I walked up to him because I used to walk up to him each time and say, where's my baby, what have you done with my son? And he'd say, I've done nothing. I don't know where he is. He, he, he walked out on me. He'd always say to me, I'm a good Catholic boy. That was always his comeback. I'm a good Catholic boy. So what does Faye do? Out of my bag, I give him a photo of him and Maddie, laminated. you got to hold it, mate. You can't put it anyway. You know what the bastard did? He rolled it and put it in his suit pocket. So all I could do was hope that it sprung open and ripped his pocket because I thought, there's no way you can put that anywhere. So you were
0: confronting him in a, a court setting?
2: Outside the court, okay. yeah. Okay.
0: And you had the, the courage to go up and confront him at that point? Yep. So it was so very went... clear by then that he knew that yeah. you were suspicious yeah. of him? And In the end, he pleaded guilty to possession deemed supply, though still maintained the drugs were mats. And then a third detective was placed in charge of the investigation into Matt's disappearance.
1: When he was charged with drug offences early 08, there was many mentions and replies in court, and Atkins was, in most cases, had to be present for those. And uh, we'd always go along and, and steer him down. And, uh, but this, this detective, he was speaking of, was would go to court occasionally as well. And once outside Downing Centre uh, in the city, he saw us across the road and just stared at face. So Faye just stared back and stared the bastard down.
2: Twice he um, did it to me because mm. we were sitting with a reporter at the time.
1: We had a common goal that we had, yeah, to, we had yeah. to do the right thing, we thought, by Matt. Yeah. And then after many, many, many complaints to the top and the bottom, we had the team of detectives changed. And they brought on a new lady who was wonderful. She just shook the whole brief by the throat and brought it to a point where, where charges could be laid against Atkins for murder.
2: And that's when we found out too that they hadn't gone around and got the CCTV footages. When Matt, There was 13 sightings of Matt around Australia. And so by the time they went to get the CCTV footages, they were gone. And one they never even got was where he parked the car outside Arc that night. If they got that CCTV footage, you might have seen something go on.
1: Also, too, they bought snacks at a garage across the road from the nightclub, and uh, there, would, there was footage in that shell garage that was never sourced. Also, too, we found that information on Matt's mobile phone. These days are really three different to back then, and uh, there was many bits of information on the mobile phone that the carriers would have that could have been useful in terms of the location of phone, messages, etc. And because it wasn't sourced. The carriers, well, they after all deleted. They can hold more information these days, so of course it's not discarded like it was, but back then many things were never recovered.
0: The Levisons also described an occasion in the early days of the investigation when they were being given back some of Matt's belongings.
1: Well, at the same time, I'll just relate to you a short story as well. Sitting at the breakfast bench there with um, one detective, they brought back a, one more bag of Matt's things to us. Amongst that was Matt's computer satchel. A good quality leather satchel. Uh, Matt loved his his MacBook, and um, the police had that. So we knew that the computer wasn't inside the satchel. The police would have been going through his computer. And I can sort of paint for the listener a satchel with a a flap over the top that comes down to the front with a zipper section at the back. And this satchel, this this overlapping part that comes down the front, goes into a lock, and it was locked. And I said to the detective, this is still locked. And it's obviously this thing in the satchel. And he said, "Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, we didn't want to damage the satchel." I said, "Hang on, you're investigating a murder. Is there a more or a higher, more severe crime than this?" "Yeah, we didn't want to damage this quality. It's a good bag." I said, well, "I would have got a hammer and smashed the lock, or or uh, got a knife and cut through the leather." "Well, I don't know." And and as he's saying this, I'm just playing with the bag, and the lock was obviously was locked. Uh, I just I slid back at the zipper section on the bag and put my hand in and said, "This isn't the key, is it?" We put it in the front, turn it and click open, she was. So it was, they hadn't even checked the open zipper section at the back. And in that satchel was uh, a number of memory cards uh, for the, the cameras and computers. They went through those, they didn't get much from that, but no one would have known that unless they went through them.
2: There could have been a vital piece of evidence in there, but you didn't know until you got the bag open what was in there. You said, oh, I think I might take this bag back now. So I think you're better.
0: So your faith in police at this point is... Is plummeting. Yeah, Yeah. rapidly. Rapidly, Yeah. yeah. On the next episode of Maddie... I just sat there going, oh my God, oh my God. You can imagine what was running through my head. Atkins told Bradley that Matt had gone away for a while.
1: The man has no emotions at all.
2: And a female detective told us, oh, we've spent over budget on yours.
1: It's not a justice system... It's just a system.